morning and uh, welcome to our um, second weekly podcast. Uh, I'm Nathan Sood Patel. Uh, now, a couple of months ago in The Times, I saw a fascinating article about the, uh, about the House of Lords. Now, I don't think that many people are actually content with the way that the Lords work, but with so many other issues, it's not really at the forefront of people's minds. So I thought today I'd have a little bit of a discussion about it. Now, a uh, bit of background of the House of Lords. Uh, its full name is the Right Honourable, the Lord Spiritual and Temporal of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland in Parliament Assembled. And it is the upper chamber of our UK Parliament. It is entirely unelected and peers keep their seats for life. They can be paid about £300 per day just for turning up and some of them even go to sleep during debates. Uh, the House of Laws is obviously part of the legislature. However, until uh, quite recently, actually, it had a uh, judicial sorry, function as well. It was the highest court of appeal in the land before uh, the proper Supreme Court was created. The House of Lords currently consists of three main groups, exempted hereditary peers, life peers, and bishops. Uh, I would suggest a, a particularly good article from the Lord's Library, which I will provide in the description to this podcast. Uh, now, uh, uh, about 92 hereditary peers uh, get got to keep their seats, so, so the family uh, has a seat in the Lord's and it is given to the eldest son after the current Lord died. So, uh, and there will always be 92 of them. Um, it's not 92 are left, and as soon as they all uh, pass on, no more hereditary peers, we're keeping them. Uh, however, before 1999, uh, there were almost 600 hereditary peers, which are uh, a part of which are royal family uh, princes of uh, Prince Charles, Prince Andrew, actually had seats in the Lords as hereditary peers. Uh, we are the only, one of the only two countries that has hereditary peerages. Uh, however, I feel very strongly that the 92 hereditary peers make the country look very medieval, feudalist and antiquated. There are also some Anglican bishops in the Lords too. Lords too. Uh, it's not right, I don't think, for the Church of England to have special treatment and uh, they can lobby the government obviously from there. They sit very very close to the government benches. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury could easily pass a note to a minister saying can we have an exemption from this please. So that's really not a good idea. There are other faiths that are represented in there, but only the Anglican Church have guaranteed seats. Uh, the largest group, though, is probably the uh, probably the life peers. Uh, there are a very large number of life peers. Uh, about, according to the uh, article which I have just referenced a few minutes ago, about six hundred and sixty-six. Uh, life peers. Um, these are all life peerages are created at the rank of a baron. 
Um, they are normally party donors or former MPs. Uh, however, there are some people's peers uh, which are experts in fields of everyday life. So that might be media or sports or the arts or sciences or agriculture. Uh, the resource, the uh, amount of uh, peers uh, for each party as well do not represent that in the Commons. To get a majority in the Lords, really all that a party leader needs to do is stuff the House with as many people as they want to because there is no limit at all. It makes us, uh, again, one of the only two countries uh, apart from China this time uh, that has a lower chamber, so uh, that is smaller than the upper chamber. And we used to have about 1,100 people in the Lords, 1,100 unelected people who have life seats. Uh, now, there are ways for members to lose their seats. Uh, they can commit a crime and be convicted of a crime, in which case uh, they lose their seats, or the most common reason, they cannot attend Parliament for a year. So I can, so if I were a Lord, I could, if I wanted to, uh, turn up to a debate, one debate every day, fall asleep for all of that, and uh, keep my seat and get paid a lot. And uh, personally, I don't think that's right. And it's incredibly feudalist. Um, however, the, a very good thing is that there are cross-bench peers. Um, they are an independent group of peers. They don't have any party allegiance. They sit uh, on benches which are physically uh, between uh, government and opposition and they face actually the throne and the woolsack which is what is there instead of the speaker's chair as there is in the house of commons uh, because they're unelected uh, the commons made something called primacy which just it's a constitutional custom that since the commons is elected it's got an elected mandate it is although not officially senior to the House of Lords. Uh, peers can only delay legislation to up to one year now. Uh, now, the House of Lords has used this many times to really scare the House of Commons into leaving them be since an elected chamber might contest the opinions of the House of Commons. Now, although it's quite good for House training, uh, the elected representatives of the people, it's unacceptable. It's got to stop. Um, now, I'd just like to turn to possible alternatives, and I am very confident that the best way to reform the House of Lords is going to be through proportional representation. So a set of 720 seats should be allocated to parties based upon national vote share rather than constituency seats. Uh, then parties which don't have lots of seats in the Commons, but a large percentage of national vote share, uh, even UKIP in 2016. 17, for example, got quite a lot of national vote share, but only two seats. So they would have, if we use the system I'm proposing then in the Lords, they would have got more representation in the Lords and potentially a, a 
a quicker exit out of the European Union. Uh, I think that the remaining 80 seats should be uh, allocated between crossbenchers and a very special award. Um, so I think 70 seats should be given to the crossbenchers, uh, as well as 10 lifelong seats that are given for exceptional service to this country or for people that really have an idea for, of what they're doing. Uh, former speakers and prime ministers may receive this honour. Um, the Appointments Commission should continue for crossbenchers and for the special award. And if a member of the public, just one, complains about the conduct of any peer, they should be able to write to the party chairman or to the crossbenchers convener if the uh, if the peer in question is independent. And the uh, crossbenchers convener or the party chairman should be required by law to look into the matter. And if it's not sufficiently investigated, I would suggest that the Appointments Commission have a look. Now, obviously, this plan is debatable. Uh, some would say that proportional representation doesn't work as well as other forms might. Some may say it's still not accountable enough. Uh, some would contest on whether the idea of primacy would still work. I think it should. And I think maybe it is debatable that more seats should be given to independence. But I think one thing that we can all agree on is that our current uh, second chamber doesn't work. It's undemocratic, it's anti-democratic really, it's feudalist and it's archaic. Uh, peerages are now just an extension of the honours system and if we want to treat it that way, then fine. But hereditary peers who have done nothing to deserve that honour shouldn't have it. And I think really the Lords have got to go. Uh, thank you. Uh, I know this is a bit shorter than last week, but uh, that's all for uh, this week. I'll see you next week for another podcast. Thank you very much.